Our scripture reading now and and the text for our sermon will be from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. And it's Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend... I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Parables are very much a feature of the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Especially we encounter lots of parables in Luke's Gospel. They are stories and pictures, and we can include under the heading of parables, not just the longer story-type parables, like the one we've just read, but all the the images, all, all the ways in which the Lord would teach by turning the ear into an eye so that you could see. Different sorts of parables, the longer story form, the, the analogies. Jesus in his teaching would say, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? And he would then make a comparison of some everyday thing. Uh, the, 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 the mustard seed, for example. The short images, perhaps, the pearl of great price, the yeast mixed into a whole batch of dough, and as time goes on, the whole dough rises, the yeast has effect on it all. The mustard seed starting out as tiny, tiny little seed, which the wind could blow away, yet turning into a a great big tree bigger than the ones out in the grounds here. You hear these, 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 even these little, these little images like this. There's a story attached to them, isn't there? Uh, the pearl of great price. The man who spotted this pearl in the marketplace. 
I took a deep breath. Never seen one like that before. And he went off and without telling everybody or making a big fuss, sold everything he had and bought it. There's a whole, you could expand it to a novel, couldn't you? And the way in which Jesus teaches is through these visual images, through stories. Uh, the advertising industry has caught on to it, hasn't it? Even, even just little adverts for things you hear on the radio. There's, there's often a story, a background story, that you have to fill in some of the blanks yourself. But it, it draws you in and carries you along with it. Just illustrations Jesus uses sometimes. Uh, I am the vine, he says. Consider the lilies. Look at the birds of the field. Uh, You can't forget a parable. You can't see a vine or a lily without thinking about what Jesus said about it. And then when it comes to interpreting the parables, not every detail is of great significance. So the parable we've, we've just read, commonly called uh, the Good Samaritan, it could have lots of other names, couldn't it? It could have been the, the three people passing along the road. Or, but it's commonly called the Good Samaritan. Not every detail is of great significance. Uh, the two denarii, for example, two days' wages. It's just there to, to add detail, to add interest to it. Um, the animal that uh, carried the injured man. You can't make a whole big theology out of it. It's just there to add interest to us, to carry the story forward. And we need to know a little bit about uh, everyday life in biblical times to get into the parables. They use everyday illustrations of farming and housework, commerce, family relationships. The everyday is brought into the service of the eternal Parables are subtle. There are great subtleties in the teaching of the parables. On the surface, they're just nice little stories that stick in your mind. But start to think about them more. and Start to think about the circumstances in which Jesus taught. They're subtle. There are subtleties there. And the disciples, and I've got a lot of sympathy with them in this, they would often go to Jesus and say, please explain. Please tell us what the parable meant, what it was about. And, and he would. So let's turn, have a closer look at this, this parable that we read. We'll look at the lawyer, and then the priest, and the Levite, and the Samaritan, and then some of the wider teaching of the parable. The lawyer. Well, Luke starts the account of this with, uh, behold, it's there in verse 25, and behold. So Luke, as he's recounting this teaching of Jesus, he's drawing our attention to it. He's he's flagging up something and saying, listen up, there's something important coming here. I mean, it's all important, isn't it? It's the word of God. But Luke is saying, look, behold, there's something here. And the lawyer stood up. He's a professional lawyer. Jesus spoke to him as such. His law was the law of God. Uh, The law that he dealt with, uh, the law that he 
enable the people to access the, the law that uh, he spoke about was the law of God. Under the, uh, what's called the theonomy, as God was a direct ruler of the people in those days of, of that, that, that nation of Israel then, the law of God is the law of the land. So the Ten Commandments, the moral law and all that stems from it, the other sorts of law, uh, right down to the laws about uh, having to build a fence around the top of your house to stop people falling off, and all, all sorts of things like that. Um, they would act as the body of law for Israel of the day. And this man is a professional lawyer. He's able to debate the points of the law of Scripture very well. That's what he does. It's he, it's he does it for a living. It's his work, it's his way of speaking, it's even his mindset. And it wouldn't be very profitable to enter into detailed debate with him. But he poses a question to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Luke tells us that he does it to test Jesus. Now, to, to test him might be either to, to try and trip up Jesus, uh, to try and get Jesus talking a little bit about this, and uh, inevitably he's going to say something that uh, goes against what other people think. Either to test him like that, or just to see how he reacts. Just to prod Jesus with this question and see how he reacts. Uh, d d don't people do that to, to politicians all the time? You know, they don't want the answer to the question. They just want to see where they stand on this particular issue. It's not just politicians. It's all sorts of people, too. Um, maybe he's doing that to Jesus. He's not really interested in the answer. But Jesus does answer this question. He takes him to the scriptures. How do you read it? You know the law. What does it say? And he's able to quote, you shall love the Lord your God. This, this is how to enter eternal life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and body and mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus commends him as a correct answer. Do this and you will live. And although asked insincerely, this is a question that is worth asking sincerely. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus goes to the scriptures for the answer to that. He doesn't go to popular culture. He doesn't go to your own imagination of how you think it ought to be. Jesus treats the question seriously. And the answer says... That salvation comes through loving God and living a Christian life by loving people, your neighbor. Salvation is not through the law, but through love, principally of God, but leading on to a love of people. The answer shows us that true religion, like the reading in Micah, true religion begins with God. It's loving God first. Uh, Christianity is like this. 
It's not a matter of behaving well or doing good or helping people. It is knowing and loving God from which all of these other things flow. Grace leads on to gratitude. If you've ever studied the Heidelberg Catechism, it goes guilt and grace. Grace leads on to gratitude. We are so thankful to God for the grace that he's given to us in saving us. So thankful that we love him in return and obey him. Salvation is a relationship with God. A relationship of love. What do I have to do to be saved? Love God. What does it mean to love God? How do you love God? What might get in the way of loving God? These are all follow-up questions that we have to ask. They will bring us to thoughts of faith. We must believe. We must believe that God exists before we can love him. They'll bring us to thoughts of our own sinfulness and the need of a savior from sin. There's something that's stopping us from loving God. To love God is shorthand for all of these things. To have faith, to recognize our need of a savior, and to come to God in love. Well, the reply uh, occasions a follow-up question from the lawyer. He doesn't wish to be on the losing end of this argument. He wants to make a statement that his question wasn't so silly after all, that there's more to it than perhaps Jesus thought about. And so he says, and who is my neighbor? In verse 30, in our translations, it says that Jesus answered him. Jesus replied. And that, that word reply, is, it's not the common word for, for replying to a question. It, it means taking somebody up on the point that they've just made. So Jesus is not just giving information. He's taking him up. He, he's, he's answering the, the, perhaps the real question that he never asked anyway. He's taking him up on, on his question. And Christ gives no definitive answer to the question, who is my neighbor? The parable rather gives an example of a man who loved his neighbor and two who did not. With a very definite, do this. What must I do? Do this. Do this. So the lawyer and his question and the parable, the the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, the parable itself, here's the parable. These were all familiar figures, uh, as was the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Uh, The priest would have served in the temple, uh, the lineal descendants of Aaron. Uh, They served in the temple, which was, of course, in Jerusalem. So he'd been up to Jerusalem and was probably making his way home. Uh, There they offered the sacrifices that were prescribed in the law. And then the Levite, uh, also descendants of Aaron, uh, but a a different branch, 
uh, the Levites were officials who worked in the temple, doing the work of keeping the temple going. Both of the offices were ordained of God. And the road was steep. Uh, Jerusalem's on a high hill. Jericho's below sea level. It's about 15 miles, I think. Uh, So it's a steep road. It was a wild road, and it was a notorious road. Nobody was surprised that somebody got mugged when they heard about it, them going on this road. The priest comes along. He makes an assessment. He sees the man lying there, and he passes by on the other side. He crossed over the road to avoid the injured man. This phrase has entered our English language. Passing by on the other side, it means seeing a situation of need, but ignoring it, or perhaps pretending it doesn't exist. It shows a hard indifference to suffering. Well, the Levite comes along and he sees the man there and uh, he makes some assessment of the situation. Uh, the man's probably unconscious, semi-conscious, can't call out, can't say anything. And the Levite does the same, passes by on the other side. And from what Jesus says at the end of the parable, their actions are blameworthy and they were wrong to pass by the injured man. Then a Samaritan comes along. There could be trouble here. It could be a serious threat. The Samaritans and the Jews have no dealings, John tells us in his gospel. In fact, it wasn't just that. It was worse. Uh, There was a perpetual state of animosity between them. It wasn't like um, Liverpool fans and Manchester United fans. No, it, it, it was actual bloodshed. There's actual shedding of blood had happened. Um, there was perpetual hatred based on creed, based on race. What happens next would make headlines in the Jerusalem Post. It would also shock the lawyer that a Samaritan would be portrayed in such a good light. He has compassion. That's the very opposite to the hard indifference to suffering that the, the priest and the Levite had displayed. People who hate dehumanize the ones they hate. They don't see them as real human beings. You can see examples throughout history, and not just throughout history, but throughout the world. People who hate dehumanize the ones they hate. But Christ does the opposite. He humanizes the Samaritan. He does this by saying he has compassion. He is capable, this Samaritan, who... Many Jewish people would recognize as subhuman. This Samaritan, he is capable of the highest of human feelings. Feelings that lead to action. So he produces his first aid kit. It's costly action. He applies the medication that they had in the day. And he sees it through to completion. 
We are to have compassion. A feeling that will lead to action. If it's just a feeling that doesn't go anywhere, it's not what the Bible calls compassion. A feeling that leads to action. Uh, We can't do the same for the whole wide world. It's those whom the Lord puts into our path. Uh, The Samaritan did not patrol this highway day and night looking for people he could help. It just said he happened to come across this man. It is to the people that the Lord puts across our pathway. Compassion is Christ-like. The examples of Christ having compassion in the gospel lead to action. Seeing the 5,000 crowd with nothing to eat. Can't send them away, he says. They'll faint on the way home. Give them something to eat. And he feeds the crowd. Healing the leper. The leper comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you can, please do something. Jesus had compassion on him. What he did was remarkable. He, he reached out his hand and he touched the leper, something which nobody had done to him for years and years. Jesus had compassion, which led him to touch the leper and to heal him. Again, with the crowds, Jesus saw the crowds. And he recognized them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he teaches them many things, it says. Interesting that the Lord should teach in response. But he had compassion upon them. We're back to the lawyer. Which of these three was a neighbor? That's the question. The answer is the one who had mercy. The original question was, who is my neighbor? Uh, The question now is, who proved to be a neighbor? This is where the subtlety comes in. Here's the subtlety of the parable. The lawyer wanted an argument on a very specific point. But the effect of the meeting with Jesus is that he's being given a directive by Jesus that he just can't avoid or escape or argue his way out of. How did that happen? He asked a question. He gets a directive. How on earth did that happen? He was probably left wondering himself. But the effect is to say to the lawyer, don't try to figure out small points of the law. Just do it. Show compassion and mercy. Be doers of the word, not just experts in the word. Love God, love people. Some of the wider teaching of the parable. Very obviously, in a very surface meaning there, is be merciful in act and deed. Be merciful beyond race, beyond creed, 
beyond social status. Have compassion. It's a very searching word. Um, what do you do when you come across somebody lying in the gutter? Has it ever happened to you? What do you do? <laughs> well, you have compassion, and then you, you would probably call the emergency services. Um, have compassion. It's a very searching, practical word. But don't beat yourselves up. You cannot take on the problems of the whole world. Only those the Lord very directly puts across your own path. Nor in our compassion upon people do we condone the sin of other people. Jesus had compassion on the needy, but he never condoned their sins. Uh, Second thing, uh, the parable begins with a question about eternal life. Do ask questions about eternal life and go to the scriptures for your answers. Eternal life is relationship with God. Uh, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that we know God, that we love God, that we have a relationship with God. third thing Jesus does not condemn the lawyer he doesn't put him on the spot by saying well, the priests went by, the Levite went by and then a lawyer came along and he passed by on the other side Jesus doesn't do that he's merciful although he's an opponent he's merciful to the lawyer too he doesn't argue with him It's not often profitable to argue over points of religion. But he teaches him and us that true religion is not only knowledge. He had plenty of that. What he lacked was compassion and the true love of God. And Jesus is teaching the lawyer that it is possible to be religious without being loving. Just like the priest and the Levite were. And this is not pleasing to God. This is not true religion. This is the emphasis of the parable. True religion is first and foremost focused on God at the center. It's loving God. It's entering into a relationship of love with God. And loving your neighbor follows on from that. And the last, the last point here. Jesus is personal and direct to the lawyer as the lawyer is with Jesus. The lawyer said, what must I do? And the answer to the question is do. (laughs) Do this and you will live. Ah, but you go and do likewise. He has his head filled with knowledge. But he needs to go and love God and to love man. And to use that knowledge in the service of God and man. The Lord is direct with us too. You go and do it. So, the parable speaks very loudly and directly to all of us. True religion starts with loving God. 
and it leads to loving man, and that leads to eternal life. We are to be compassionate people, never condoning sin, but always showing compassion to those we meet in need, irrespective of race or creed or social standing. Knowing God is the thing. Knowing the law of God is not enough if we don't do it. It's so significant. Luke starts off with a look, see. He has recorded for us the gospel itself. That's, that's how important it was. That's, that's why Luke is saying, pay attention. This is not just a, it's not just a nice story. It's not, it's not just Jesus and a lawyer in conversation. It's the gospel itself. Love God. And all that that means of faith and repentance. Love people. Go from guilt to grace to gratitude and obedience. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, O Lord, that we may have a relationship of love with you. We pray, Lord, that each and every one of us may enter into that with a whole heart and a whole mind and a whole will. And that also that we might love others as well in obedience to you and in gratitude to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.